Hello, welcome to Film Feeder. Uh, as you may notice, the sound is a bit echoier today. Uh, that's because I'm in a very special location with a very special guest. What are you doing in my flat? Um, Film Feeder! Hi guys, and uh, thank you so much for joining into the show once again. Uh, like I mentioned, I am with a very special co-host this episode. I am with my very, very best friend, Matthew Hans. Hello everyone. Hi. Yeah, so thank you so much for being on the show. This is, um, for those who don't know, and Matt doesn't as well because he hasn't listened to the podcast yet, is... Uh, this is a show where every week I dive into everything that's coming to cinema, streaming, and on demand. I serve it all up for you, and I also have some special reviews as well of, of films that might be coming out this week or maybe even come out last week. Either way, I'll be saying it all to my uh, very good friend Matt here. So um, I very much look forward to finding out information about the new releases. Yeah, so you're not as uh, much... In, I mean, you do like films, but you're not obviously not probably not as I, much as like me. I do not watch as many films as you watch. <laughs> no, no, I think that's, I, I, think I will. Fairly. I will know some of the big film, some of maybe the big films that come out, but the more avant-garde films or the indie films, I probably will not know as much about. All right. Well, that's why I'm here to kind of. Uh, this is actually kind of a good example of what film feed is supposed to do. So, like, I, someone who has uh, quite a bit of knowledge about it. Uh, uh, basically dish off all my advice to a plebeian such as yourself. <laughs> well, thank you for having me as the plebeian of your, <laughs> of your podcast. No, no, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's all good, man. It's, uh, but yeah, no, we've been friends for uh, a number of years. Haven't we? 20 Too years. long years. Too many years. Too many years. <laughs> Too 20, many years. 20 years in 2024, as a matter of fact. It's yeah. been... How, how have we not killed each other since? I ask myself that question every day. <laughs> yeah, no, um, Matt has been a very good friend uh, with me. Um, uh, he, yeah, we've had a lot of the same tastes. In fact, a lot of the um, uh, humour that uh, I've kind of grown up with over the years, I kind of got from you. I mean, you kind of introduced me to stuff like Monty Python and The Fast Show, you know, really kind of out there stuff. And I feel I owe a lot of that to you. So. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, I mean, obviously, it's, it's not all me. I've I've had my influences and I'm glad to know that I'm, I've been a positive influence for you. Yeah, no, I mean, again, and also as someone who is diagnosed autism, I really, um, I find it so pleasant because you've never really, you're not really on the spectrum officially, are you? Not officially, no. Um, I think years ago when I was a kid, I was, I was, diagnosed uh i was bored i was the doctors said borderline i believe was the exact phrasing um but it's i'm, I'm where i am today and you are where you, where you are today and absolutely we, yeah. and i don't think either of us have let labels define who we are no absolutely not i mean we are we are not yeah exactly we're not defined by uh what society deems us to be i mean we can certainly have a different ways of looking at the world but that doesn't make us uh, lesser than uh than other people and that's one of the reasons why i started this podcast you know one to spread all this film knowledge and two to also show people that you know even if you have um an autism diagnosis like i do you know i think it's uh, very good to kind of uh, be open about these things and let, let it not be such a taboo subject and I'm um, very 
nervous as well to uh, be doing this because this is the first time I've really gone off script for one of these uh, regular film feeder episodes. Well, uh, let's keep things going then. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, before we get started, I just want to do a bit of uh, housekeeping. Uh, If you like this podcast and want to uh, hear more episodes going forward, then you can follow Film Feeder on all the socials. Um, uh, First of all, you know, we've got Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok, all those ones where where all the links and handles and stuff you can find in the episode description. And uh, obviously there's the Film Feeder website, uh, filmfeeder.co.uk. And if you do like my work, then please consider subscribing to Patreon at patreon.com slash filmfeeder, where you know, sub- paid subscribers can get uh, exclusive access to like uh, video episodes of certain podcasts and uh, including uh, getting the feature presentation episodes uh, a whole day before anywhere else. So there's a lot of reasons to sign up. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we can't really find you anywhere, can we? <laughs> No, you can't. No, you're a bit of a social media hermit, yeah, aren't you? Did you find me? I, I, I <laughs> ask myself that every day. <laughs> so now, unfortunately, Matt's not available on uh, social media, but um, he's making his uh, public debut here, which is very, very brave of him. You made that sound so weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, what's public, weird about that? Public debut. Public debut. I mean, it's what a, about it, Honey Bee Do I just sort of go out and do a pageant? <laughs> I do. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not like you're an occlusive or anything. You're just not on social media as much as everyone else. No, I'm is, not. I'm not. Which is probably admirable in this day and age, honestly. No, but... I'm not an active social media meteorite or whatever you whatever you want to call it. No, of course not. No. Yes, online socialite. No, but um, anyway, either way, it's, I'm glad to have you on here. Uh, you. So uh, let's let's dive right into this week's movie menu. And now, preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. Right, so it's it's actually quite a special week. It's Valentine's Day uh, week, and um, as you can imagine, there's a lot of film releases that are going to be spreading a lot of love and going to be a lot of date nights for couples or just regular old um, uh, visits for so- single people. Uh, guess yeah, guess thanks which for reminding me there, Jack. Yeah, I guess which one that. we fall into. <laughs> but um, on, honestly, chief among them, I mean, you can be a couple or a single person uh but you can always go along to see the movie of the week which is going to be bob marley one love and this is uh, not a romance obviously but a rather a musical biopic of the legendary reggae singer himself bob marley i imagine this will be in a similar vein to other biopics of famous musicians in the vein of elvis presley queen and I didn't. Did they do one for Diana Ross? Or they? Or am I thinking of the Supremes? No, no, no. Uh, you close. I think they did one for Whitney Houston. For Whitney me. Houston. That was it. Whitney Houston. Uh, uh, di- practically the same person as Diana Ross. <laughs> um, but no, here Bob Marley is played by Kingsley Benadire, who was recently seen in the Barbie movie as one of the Kens, and he also played Malcolm X in director Regina King's One Night in Miami. And was also uh, in Marvel Studios' Secret Invasion miniseries, but less said about that one, the better. 
Um, anyway, he plays he plays Bob Marley in this film. Uh, he's got a um, a lot going for him in the film. The film covers a lot of his life and career. And uh, as ever, as I like to do with the movies of the week, I like to list five reasons why you should be excited for this particular film. So, why should you be excited for this film, Jack? Well, I will tell you. Uh, reason number one it is. All of course, all about the iconic reggae star Bob Marley, and he's given the biopic treatment in this all-encompassing look at his life and career. Just like you said, like films like Bohemian Rhapsody, I Want to Dance with Somebody, just pretty much every other typical music biopic you can think of, it's now being handed down to Bob Marley. So fans of those kinds of films, and I know there's a lot, uh, will get plenty out of this one as well. And then moving on to the next reason, like I said, uh, it's all about uh, Kingsley Benadire. He's been given the monumental task of bringing Bob Marley to life. And he's also got a pretty good supporting cast alongside him that includes BAFTA winners Lashana Lynch, who you might know from No Time to Die and yeah. um, uh, the recent Matilda musical. And also Michael Ward, who also won a BAFTA, uh, the E.E. Rising Star Award uh, for his work in Blue Story, and was also nominated for Supporting Actor last year for Empire of Light, the Sam Mendes film. So they're all in it, and also uh, you've also got James Norton in there as well uh, as the token white guy in this uh, particular story. Um what but, a world to be in when you've got a film with a token white guy. <laughs> well, of course, yes. Uh, as, as said by two white guys. <laughs> you know what, it, Let's it, move on swiftly, shall we? Yeah, it, it's only fair. Um, but the film comes with a lot of prestige behind the camera as well, including director Renaldo Marcus Green. He directed Will Smith to his Oscar in King Richard. So Renaldo Marcus Green also directed... Um, recent films monsters and men and joe bell and obviously as you mentioned he directed king richard who, which i have not seen i must admit but i have heard it really slaps yeah that it does uh inside joke uh let's uh uh if you get that uh, then points to you but yeah he directed all those films and now he directs uh bob marley one love as well and uh it, it's actually really beneficial because um a lot of biopics, you know, they, they're usually made without the approval of like the the person's family or or in state, you know, you know, it comes with a lot of contention. But no, not in the case of this one, because several members of Bob Marley's family, who's um which includes his wife Rita and his children Ziggy and Sidella, they they've all given their official blessing for the project and they're also credited as producers. So what we what what it what it seems to me is we are getting uh, Bob Marley as you know officially approved by the Marley family, which is pretty cool. Yeah, if it, and if anything from what trailers have shown, this feels like a genuine interpretation of Bob Marley as he was when he was alive. This similar to the film Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. where it felt like Remy Malek was playing Freddie Mercury. It felt and it was an authentic version of Freddie Mercury, even if events from that particular film weren't like 100% accurate it felt true to who he was as a person and hopefully Bob Marley One Love can do the same thing absolutely and you know what if nothing else it's an excuse to just listen to your favorite Bob Marley tracks as I'm sure they'll be uh, um, shown and heard throughout the rest of the film so yeah those I think those are five solid enough reasons to check out Bob Marley One Love which is showing in cinemas uh, via Paramount Pictures on Wednesday, the 14th of February. And hopefully you won't have to worry about a thing.
because every little thing is, is gonna, gonna be all right. right. Yeah, <laughs> so I knew that was gonna come. <laughs> so yeah, no. So going from straight from something like Bob Marley, One Love, and right into the other films that are coming out to cinemas this week. Uh, most notable of them is a film that has already drawn a bit of ire from certain online communities and uh, certain comic 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 communities. It's Madam Web. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, hold on. Now, now, I know there's a lot of negativity surrounding this film. I, I should say first, uh, Madam Web, for those who don't know, is a film that is inspired by the popular Spider-Man character, who in the comics is uh, an aged uh, clairvoyant. She's blind and she helps, uh, I, I believe anyway, and she helps Spider-Man uh, every now and then with certain things uh, in the comics. But look, th this just goes to shows my knowledge of the comics. I might have completely balls that up, in which case I'm, I apologise to any comics fans out there. Uh, yes, I'm just going... I, I must admit, I myself, um, I don't read a lot of comic, comic books. I don't know a huge amount about the Madam Web character, but what I've gleaned from the internet is very similar to what uh, Jack has just said, which is that she is a blind clairvoyant elderly woman who can see the future and can and basically help and I believe in the comic books helps Peter with sort of understanding his destiny and his fate. Mm -hmm. And for and for this character in this film, this blind elderly clairvoyant, they've got none other than Dakota Johnson to play it. This um uh, interesting casting. I mean, no, no disrespect to Dakota Johnson. She is a very good actor. Um, not exactly the kind of first person you think of when you're playing like a blind, elderly, clairvoyant person, but maybe the film explains it. But anyway, in the film, uh, she is Cassandra Webb, a New York paramedic, and she's gifted with clairvoyant abilities that allow her to see into various futures. And so mysterious spider-suited assailant, who's played by Tahir Rahim, he begins attacking three similar seemingly random women who are played by Sydney Sweeney, Celeste O'Connor, and Isabella Merced. And now Cassandra must put her newfound powers to good use. So it's the fourth film overall in Sony's Spider-Man universe. So it's separate from the main Marvel Cinematic Universe, but also includes uh, anti-heroes like Venom and Morbius walking around and soon... And one day Craven. And one day Craven the Hunter as well, and a lot of other um baddies who are lined up for their own film so this is just one of that and it's directed by sj clarkson who makes her feature debut after directing episodes of shows like you know life on mars dexter succession and marvel's jessica jones so she does have a bit of marvel experience but obviously this is on a much different level but i think the film is kind of getting a bit of uh negative press at the moment um because the promo promos they've released for it have been uh to put apparently quite bad <laughs> so I will, I will second that um i i mean i don't know what your opinion is on the on the trailers my first view is i've seen better costumes on a tv show like smallville mm. or one of the arrowverse right series i mean i i i don't know i mean i haven't seen much of the arrowverse stuff so i can't i mean i'd say it's more of a failure on so sony's marketing department because i mean sony's been known to kind of 
fudge up their um, trailers and stuff in the past. So for all we know, Madam Web could actually turn out to be a nice surprise. So, uh, and the fact that it's gotten so much negative press is, you know, there's a whole, um, I mean, just the, the trailer itself is bad. But I think it's good to go into these things, especially, you know, when it's, you know, um, when it's directed by and predominantly starring women. I think it is very important to uh, not let that kind of prejudice um, uh, dominate your overall feelings and just go in with an open mind because you might even be surprised. I mean, a lot of 100 percent agree. Yeah. A lot of people kind of uh, went in wanting to hate uh, the Marvels just last year. And honestly, it was a really good time. And we went to to see that together. We did. We we, we liked the film. It wasn't it wasn't a bad film. It is. It's actually quite fun and quite endearing. We we enjoyed it quite a bit. And and unfortunately, it is Marvel's biggest bomb today, but obviously not not the Marvel that is making this film this Marvel as a whole, but yeah, I think it's, I think it just boils down to misogyny and it's a re- it's a real shame because as well, because there's clearly a lot of effort going and it's certainly been through the grinder a little bit, you know, post-production problems and so on. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that movie's excuse. I don't know how that's going to turn out with Madam Web, but uh, like I said, I'm keen to go in with an open mind. And, you know, it'll do until Marvel Studios has Deadpool 3 out in the summer. So, but yeah, so if you are interested in seeing Madam Web, then it is also coming to cinemas uh, on Wednesday, the 14th of February. Now, moving on to another film that, uh, that does not come with quite the um, uh, comic book baggage as uh, Madam Web does is a film called The Taste of Things. Now, this is a film that you might have already heard of, um, and I'll explain why. I actually have not heard about this film, so I'm very excited to find out about this. Well, um, there's a a reason that this... I'll go into a bit more details later on, because I do have a review coming up for this. Um, For now, I will say that this is um, a French film, Stars uh, Juliette Binoche, uh, who won an Oscar for The English Patient. Ooh la la. Yes, and uh, Benoit Majumel. And so it's set in like uh, 1885, and Juliette Binoche, she is a chef who uh, has worked in the same restaurant uh, for uh, Majumel's Dodin for a number of years. And in that time, you know, they've um, certainly developed a bit of a connection. but it's all about, you know, how uh, she doesn't necessarily want to marry him. And it's up to him to decide to um, do the unthinkable and maybe cook for her for once. So it's uh, it's actually um, got quite a bit of uh, good press from it. And mm. it's also got some uh, awards love as well. It was it won the Best Director Award at the Cannes Film Festival uh, for Tran, uh, Tran Ang Hung. I really hope I'm pronouncing that name right. Uh, he's a Vietnamese-born French filmmaker, and uh, I'll I'll go into a bit more information later as to why you might uh, people the people listening are uh, might already know of his existence. Um, I'll go into that more when I d- deliver my review later on. But for now, I will say you can check out the Taste of Things on Valentine's Day, which is once again Wednesday the fourteenth. Any chance for a taster of your opinion on the film? Um. It's uh no, this is the you know what? This is one where you're gonna have to let your stomach growl for just a little longer. And just a little longer. Um that's the chef's rules, I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tr- trust me, the weight will be worth it. 
So moving on now to The Promised Land. This is another uh, European film. This comes from Denmark. So this is a film that stars Mads Mikkelsen, who obviously you'll know for films like Casino Royale and uh, Strange. Doctor Strange. Yes, he's the, like, the go-to the bad Hannibal guy. series. The Hannibal series. He's a go-to bad guy in a lot of things, but he is a very, very good actor. Yes, say. So in this film, it's set in 1755 Denmark, uh, Mikkelsen plays the impoverished Captain Ludwig Kallen, who receives permission from the Royal Danish court to cultivate and build property on the uninhabitable Jutland Heath. But he soon runs into he soon runs into all sorts of problems by ruthless landowner, played by uh, Simon Benjerg. Benjerg, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name right. Benjerg. Benebjerg. Is how you pronounce that name? Benebjerg. Thank you. This is why I have a co-host this episode. Um, so he he's a ruthless landowner and he sets out to make Cullen's progress far from simple. So this is um is from the director of um of the Oscar-nominated A Royal Affair, Nicolas Arcel. Uh he that film also starred Mads Mikkelsen and they reunite. Uh, also start has the uh, sick of myself breakout Christine Kuyap Thorpe in a supporting role as well and from what I've heard this is quite a stunning uh, Danish language western complete with lots of uh, beautiful harsh cinematography and it's um, it's quite interesting as well based on uh, based on a best-selling book The Captain and Anne Barbara and it's an unexpected gem that you'll keep coming back to when it comes to cinemas uh, via Icon on Friday the 16th of February. Never heard of a Danish Western before. It's no. not, you normally have a Western in the in the wet in West America in America, West American states. No. That sounds different. That sounds interesting. Well, I mean, I mean, just because it's called the Western doesn't mean it has necessarily has to take place in the old West. Absolutely. Ev- every country has a West, technically, when you think about it. Well, I mean, when you put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, of course. <laughs> But uh, funnily enough, um, Westerns also tie into the next film on this list, which is Eureka. So um, this, so this stars Viggo Mortensen. It's a film from uh, filmmaker Lisandro Alonso. And so it's a basically about um, a Native American police officer in the Pine Ridge Reservation, Elena, who's played by Elena Clifford. And she has just grown weary of her life uh, in that job. And she leaves her niece, Sadie, who is, let me just see. She finds that she leaves her niece, who is Sadie LaPointe, uh, to to travel across space and time from the rainforests of South America in the 1970s to an encounter with uh, lawman Viggo Mortensen's Murphy in the Old West. So... This is, from, like I said, this is from Argentine, Argentine filmmaker Lisandra Alonso. And it's a quite a bizarre but meaningful journey across various points in time and space. Uh, Viggo Mortensen also worked with this person uh, in their 2014 film Georgia, J-O-U-J-A. And uh, he, like I said, plays a lawman in the Old West, hence the Western connection. And it's got quite a bit of magical storytelling, which explores Native American representation in media and how it's nothing like how things are in the real world. You know, kind of a bit similar to how Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon kind of flipped that on its head uh, last year. So it's 
bit surreal but if you're up for a transcendent experience that constantly goes to unexpected places then eureka comes from sovereign film distribution and it also arrives in cinemas on the 16th so how does that sound to you that sounds very out there <laughs> i must admit it's like oh, native american 1970s what can we do to make this interesting i know take it back in time shove in the old west where they're persecuted yeah that makes sense yeah yeah <laughs> so it kind of goes into i, I again i, I want to we're we are talking about these films before we've had a chance to see them so yeah. for all we know we could be just completely bsing this so yeah, we i'm just, I'm just going I, off i'm I, just going off by what i've uh, learned about this film through research yes so. i must admit i have not seen the trailer this is the first time i'm hearing of it so this is just completely blind reaction this is like Okay, that sounds that sounds it could could be a good film, could be completely different, complete could be completely out there. Definitely if you like old Western films, absolutely worth a look, I think. Yeah. Well, going straight from that, we're going into musical documentaries now and with Getting It Back, the story of Simande. So uh this is the group who um of UK-based Caribbean musicians who formed the band in South London, and they found fame for their mix of jazz, funk, soul, and Caribbean grooves. And they became inspirations to many other musicians in the process. So, And the film features a lot of interviews with modern-day musicians like Mark Ronson and rapper Master, I, Master, and rapper Master Ace, uh, just to show how much of an influence this band has been. So it's all about that. And you know, honestly, between this and Bob Marley One Love, it's a damn fine week for fans of iconic black music that transcends race and all other barriers. So so yeah, that's um that's a little uh, documentary from distributed by the British Film Institute, BFI. Getting it back, the story of Simande. That's showing in cinemas as well on Friday the 16th. It's all about them. And promises to be a funky time. Oh, it certainly Sunday. is funky and now moving on to something far less funky someone someone's daughter someone's son yeah, this who's, is what whose daughter whose son it's just says someone's someone's daughter someone's son that's the name of the film this is the name of the film okay proceed yeah <laughs> so uh this is a far less funky tale this is comes from filmmaker lorna tucker who as a teenager ran away from home and didn't ended up sleeping rough on london streets and so the film is basically her returning to her former haunts to speak with current and former homeless people about their tragic tragic circumstances and how we as a society can uh, fix the homeless problem once and for all. So obviously it's quite a harrowing and deeply honest documentary and with plenty of quite hard hitting themes, because obviously, I mean, there's not much we can really say about homelessness in a jovial manner. So no, it's, it's a serious you problem. You can't exactly turn around and say, hey, you want, a, you want a real feel good time? Here's this documentary about homelessness. No, but it is important to check out nonetheless, especially you know for those who are affected by it and want to help whatever they can. This film is said to offer some answers to fighting all these injustices. So that's uh, that's going to be a limited release, but make sure you check out Someone's Daughter, Someone's Son, which is also showing in cinemas from the Friday the 16th of February. Absolutely an important documentary yeah. for those who are concerned about the issue of homelessness. Mm, absolutely. So that was the last cinema release I have for you this week. Uh, now moving on to uh, what's coming to streaming platforms. First of all, we have um, Netflix's big release, which is Players. 
So uh, this stars Gina Rodriguez. Uh, she plays a sports writer in New York. She runs a series of successful hookup schemes alongside her best friend, Adam, who's played by Damon Wayans Jr. But unfortunately, uh, she falls for one of her targets, who happens to be a handsome correspondent played by Tom Ellis of Lucifer fame. So uh, now she must decide if she can maintain a relationship without her and his, her and her friends' usual tricks. So obviously it's kind of like a bit of a rom-com, but also got that energetic kind of um, vibe to it, you know, giving hookup artists their time to shine. So, um, yeah, no, I think they've got like um, also got a good cast with um, uh, also the Kissing Booths, Gerald Courtney and SNL alumni Ego Wadim. And of course, Lucifer himself, Tom Ellis, that uh, handsome devil, literally. Yeah. Uh, Pitch Perfect. Stole my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's also got um, Trish C is directing it. She did uh, Pitch Perfect 3. And it's a script by Wiss Anderson, who previously wrote shows like Ozark and Daredevil. But yeah, it's a kind of uh, just like a regular old rom-com for Netflix. And that's coming to the streamer exclusively on Valentine's Day, Wednesday the 14th. And according to go to a Google search, it's a sport drama as well. So Oh, fun. <laughs> Sports drama rom-com. That'll be... Uh... Yeah, let's see how much Google balls that up. <laughs> but, you know, a different kind of love story now from Prime Video. This is, this is me, dot, 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 now, a love story. Now, um, this is a film very much from Jennifer Lopez. It's directed by Dave Myers, but uh, it is uh, a, com a more of a visual accompaniment for... Jennifer Lopez's new album, This Is Me, dot, 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 now. And it's, I don't know, it's it's quite hard to explain this one, honestly. This is more like a uh, a cinematic odyssey inspired by uh, a lot of Jennifer Lopez's love life. This, so it's... Yeah, this sounds very much like the... I don't know if you call it a documentary, but the film that came out in relation to Taylor Swift's most recent tour, the Eras tour. No, no. I mean, the the Eras tour was definitely much more just like a filmed uh, version of of the tour. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's like this, this is way way different. This is more like a feature length music video. So it, right. it, it's very very like artsy. Like if you watch the trailer, like there's a lot of really artsy like uh, CG coated sequences it really does look like a so this is very this sounds very much like the michael jackson film moonwalker which was basically one elongated music video after one elongated music video it kind of is it yeah. kind of does sound like that michael jackson's moonwalker yeah it, i mean I, I don't know to what extent this is me now um is like um uh, like that but it, it definitely gives off that vibe but it's uh obviously one for j-lo fans i mean j-lo's good in a, a lot of things and you know she's even roped in her husband ben affleck to play like a supporting part in it so alongside kiki palmer post malone's in there as well so that'll be quite um quite a bit of a fever dream this is me dot 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 now a love story so that's streaming exclusively on prime video from friday the 16th so that's mm -hmm. um so yeah we could, we could have a modern day moonwalker on our yes, on our yeah. hands but yeah no Je Jennifer Lopez she she's really good so this could be a little surprise but then um 
so that's all the streaming films. But uh, the films that are available to digitally rent or buy are on most platforms. Uh, moving on now, first of all, we've got Marmalade. So this stars Stranger Things is uh, Joe Keery, you know, Steve Harrington yeah. himself. Yeah, good actor. Um, yeah, very good actor. So he plays an imprisoned convict who strikes up a friendship with his new cellmate, who's played by Aldous Hodge. And they soon make a plan to uh, escape. But while they put their plan into motion, he basically recalls the story of how he met a beautiful but mysterious young woman named Marmalade, who is played by Camilla Marone, who um, was in Daisy Jones and the Six on Prime Video. Um, and it's all about just how they kind of uh, went about a Bonnie and Clyde kind of heist to pay for his mother's medical expenses, but of course, at a devastating cost. So that's uh, Stranger Things star Joe Carey. He's playing a lovable loser uh, alongside uh, Camilla Marone. Marone, I don't know how you pronounce that name. Marone, um, I think. Marone, maybe, I don't know. But it's also the directorial debut of actor Keir O'Donnell, who's appeared in everything from Wedding Crashers to American Sniper. So it's got a bit of an ambitious vision and an unpredictable narrative. So that's Marmalade, which you can now rent or buy on just about any digital platform. If it does really well, do you think they'll release a sequel called Jam? It's possible, yeah, yeah. Going from Marmalade to Jam and then uh, rounding out the trilogy with Marmite. Why not? Yes, Marmite, Vegemite for the American audience. Well, the Australian audience, more like. Yes, that is true. That is Australian. My bad. Yeah. But which brings me to which brings me to you. This is another film that's available to rent or buy digitally from uh, Signature Entertainment. They're also handling Marmalade. So this is uh, this is a film that stars Lucy Hale and Nat Wolf. They meet their strangers who meet at a wedding. They decide to spontaneously hook up, but uh, things come to a halt when yeah they decide to spend the day just sharing intimate details about their past lovers. And it's basically just how they kind of like look over their past relationships, see how they can maybe work things, uh, how can learn from that and work things out in the future. So. This it's got a bit of charm to it, you know. The actors have good chemistry, and it's uh, the director of the equally celebrated rom com, The Hating Game, which also starred Lucy Hale. And uh, yeah, no, I think this is another one to pop on if you. It's a fine alternative to going to the cinema. So that's which brings me to you, which is also available to rent or buy on digital platforms. So what on do you think of this? Monday one? the twelfth of February. It is yeah today. In fact, which is which is when this episode goes up. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Sounds like the building blocks for a healthy relationship. You talk about your past ones. Absolutely. And I wish I say as a single man. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? The exact opposite of a healthy relationship is also explored in the film's final and the week's final uh, digital release, Some Other Woman. This is uh, a film from director Joel David Moore, who some of you might know as Norm from the Avatar movies. He directs this one, and it's about a woman named Eve who's uh, played by Amanda Crew. She's whisked, she is whisked away by her husband, Peter, who's Tom Felton, yes, Draco Malfoy, uh, okay. to a tropical island for seemingly a few months while he works there. But soon the months turn into years, forcing Eve to give up on her own dreams and ambitions. But then, as island fever begins to set in, Eve becomes more and more disturbed by a strange woman who's played by Ashley Green, who begins taking over her life piece by piece. So this is obviously a bit of a psychological thriller, so you don't know what's going on at any given time. 
you don't know who's to be trusted. Uh, I don't feel good about trusting uh, Tom Felton in this one, but... I don't know, there's something about him just seems kind of uh, slimy. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a slithery, as you... Yes, yes, yes when he goes when he walks set, he just slithers in. Yeah. He does slither in, yes. But, um, yeah, this, this seems like quite an unpredictable ride. So that's Some Other Woman, which is also coming from Signature Entertainment. And you can find uh, that as well as all the other digital releases on places like Amazon, Sky Store, Google Play, and so on. Finally, let's talk about some of the films that are coming back to cinemas this week. So the big one is uh, comes from the legendary Francis Ford Coppola, but it's not The Godfather or even Apocalypse Now. It's, in fact, One from the Heart. In fact, it's different kind of One from the Heart. It's also got the subtitle Reprise. So this is uh, Francis Ford Coppola's 1982 film that's set in Las Vegas during the 4th of July holiday. And it's about a couple who decide to break up and pursue new romantic partners. So this one has a bit of an interesting history. So it's a long forgotten classic, long forgotten classic. Um, and it's uh, had a pretty troubled and expensive production. And the film failed to find an audience at the time when with, and it plunged both Coppola and his production company, Zoe Trope into years of financial woes. And it, it's also said to have brought about the end of the new Hollywood era in the 1970s as well. But in the years since, the film has been reassessed as a misunderstood gem, especially with its stunning cinematography by Vittorio Storato, who also shot uh, Apocalypse Now and also but Bernardo Bertolucci's Oscar-winning epic, The Last Emperor. And in fact, this version that's coming back to cinemas, it comes with six minutes of previously discovered material that was thought to have been long destroyed, and it's now been re-added with Coppola's approval. So, yeah, so uh, you get a new chance to see One from the Heart reprise, which it comes to cinemas with an all-new 4K restoration as well. That also comes to cinemas on Friday the 16th of February. So have you heard of this one, One from the Heart? I've not heard of One from the Heart. Francis Ford Coppola, very famous director. Obviously, the Godfather films are infamous with how and legendary with how good they are. One One from the Heart sounds like a good film worth checking out. Uh, there's a lot of interesting names that probably became big in their field after yeah Raul Julia is in the film you know he yeah. went on to be be in the the live action Adams family films from the early 90s and Tom Waits did the musical score for it as well so yeah. a musician so yeah like so there's plenty of reasons to check out this long forgotten masterpiece and then moving on to another big re-release interview with the vampire would you believe it's been 30 years since this film debuted? Has it really been 30 years? 30 years. 30 so, years, blimey. Yeah, so this is obviously Neil Jordan's adaptation of the popular Anne Rice novel, which uh, sees a vampire by the name of Louis de Pont du Lac, who's played by Brad Pitt in the film. Um, he is interviewed in modern-day San Francisco by Christian Slater, um, and about his life as a vampire, where after he was turned by uh, Tom Cruise's Lestat uh, back two centuries ago, and um, all about his experiences as well with uh, young Claudia, who's played by young Kirsten Dunst, who's also transformed into a vampire as their surrogate daughter. 
and it's all about this, the horrors of the of experiencing this eternal life and breaking free from uh, Lestat's demonic grip. So yeah, it's uh, obviously a very big uh, hit upon its release back in 1994. And it was quite a different film for Tom Cruise at the time and Brad Pitt. And it made Kirsten Dunst uh, a, quite a sensation as well. She even got nominated for a Golden Globe for this film. Wow. So yeah, I mean, it received mixed reviews upon its release, but of course it became a big box office hit at the worldwide box office, grossing more than double its $60 million budget. I'm not surprised you've got Brad Pitt, you've got Tom Cruise. I'm assuming this is before Tom Cruise did did the Mission Impossible films. Um, I, Yeah, I think this, I believe this was a couple of years before that first Mission Impossible film, yeah. yeah. It's also got Stephen Rear, who was in Neil Jordan's uh, The Crying Game as well. Yeah, I mean, you've got uh, Christian Slater. Yeah, Christian Slater, Antonio Banderas. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> interesting fact about Christian Slater, uh, the role he was meant to play was actually meant for River Phoenix before he died. Oh. And and uh, when Christian Slater took it on, he actually, uh, I believe he actually donated uh, his um, his actor salary to uh, River Phoenix's family. Oh, how very or or, or, or he, he donated it to someone. I can't remember if it was a family or a charity or either way he donated it, which was donated, kind of good. Donated the money to a good cause. Yeah. Memory of Christian Slater. That is, uh, no, not. No, Christian Slater donated good money money to a good cause in memory of Christian Slater. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> yes. Why would you, in, in memory of myself? Yes. <laughs> yes. I will donate this money to my bank account. <laughs> that's, that's not how it works. No. no, but yeah, no, he did it, donate it in uh, in memory of River Phoenix, which was pretty nice of him. But but yeah, no, the, I think this is a good opportunity for anyone who has seen this classic vampire film on the small screen. This is your chance to see it on the big screen when it comes to cinemas on Friday the 16th. And finally, we have a much more recent uh, epic coming back to cinemas this week. It's Les Miserables. It's, Do you hear the people sing? I don't know. Can you? I don't know. Can you? <laughs> Well, this joke died. Anyway, <laughs> anyway um, this is obviously Tom Hooper's big epic musical adaptation of the classic stage musical that was, in fact, inspired by Victor Hugo's epic novel. So epic all around. So got a great cast. Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, Anne Hathaway, Amanda Seyfried, Eddie Redmayne, Helen Oberlin Carter, Sasha Baron Cohen, Samantha Barks, and many, many others. Uh, of course, it's back with remastered sound and picture quality. So you're getting a whole new uh, audio-visual experience with this film. You can really see the, the dirt particles on Anne Hathaway's face during I Dreamed a Dream. You can, and you can also uh, hear Russell Crowe's singing even more, and you certainly wish you hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. I know. You want know Russell Crowe kind of gets a bad rap for that. He does. Film. He he do, he acted it incredibly well. He just he did get a better singing coach. Because obviously the thing with this film is that the the big gimmick of it is what all the actors sang live on set without you know um, be recording it beforehand. Yeah. And, and, and it, it probably gave the film a bit a, a more genuine authenticity over previous musicals, where where yeah. the songs were quite obviously pre-recorded and they just mined it. Absolutely. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's pretty cool to see in this day and age. Yeah, actors actually sing it. You know, in, in the case of Russell Crowe, you know, it's not for lack of trying. So no, I mean, he, did, he just he, he, he just does a phenom phenomenal, phenomenal job with what with with the cards he had. Absolutely. He, he just he's not the best singer in the world, 
but yeah, I mean, we're, we're far worse singers than Russell Crowe is, so yes. we, we shouldn't really judge. <laughs> we, we've we've sang, we've sung Queen and karaoke. And we are definitely. I mean, Russell Crowe might I've, as well I've be. Be- I've, pub- bel- I've belted out Frank Sinatra track of the karaoke. Exactly, booth. Russell Crowe is is Pavarotti compared to what we've belted out. So yes, you're probably right. <laughs> so you know what, Russell Crowe, you get a free pass from us but yeah so Les Miserables is coming back to cinemas on Friday the 16th of February and with that this week's for movie menu comes to a much more rambly close so that's uh we made it through I hope you've uh, got a more of an idea of what's coming out this week and uh Matt uh, any any films of, of the ones we've talked about which ones do you think you're most likely to check out I'd most likely put check out the Bob Marley one that we said right at the start. Probably, yeah. That is a legendary musician, mm-hmm. probably one of the godfathers of reggae, and and it'd be so interesting to hear about his story because obviously he was he was alive probably before I was. Yeah, yeah, but alive, 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 and died well before our time, which yeah, is exactly yeah, a real icon in not just music history but just pop culture as a whole. So. That, yeah, so those are all the films coming out this week. And now it's time for the main course of Film Feeder, which is, of course, my reviews. Uh, Jack. Yeah, what? I've not seen any of the films you're about to review. Oh, so what use are you going to be here then? Well, clearly not of that much use. We'll go then. I, I can handle this. Oh, fine, I'll go. <laughs> Get me some coffee while you're at it too. Oh, you want you want coffee? Do you want milk with it, your posh prick? Oh, it'd be lovely, thank you. All right, okay. <laughs> Reviews. Yes, it's time once more for my insightful reviews of some of the latest releases. And I'm going to start off by talking about one of this week's new arrivals, which is the French culinary drama, The Taste of Things. Now, if you're a follower of the annual circus that is awards season, it's highly likely that you've already heard of writer-director Tran An Hung's film, but not necessarily for the right reasons. That's because back in September, the French-language film, which debuted to strong reviews at last year's Cannes Film Festival, and even went home with the Best Director Prize for Hung, was surprisingly named as France's official submission for the International Feature Film Oscar. It was especially shocking since the country's presumed pick was another Cannes favourite, Justine Trier's gripping courtroom drummer Anatomy of a Fall, which won the Palme d'Or and has since been touted as a possible contender for many other awards, including the Oscars. But nevertheless, The Taste of Things was picked instead, which many in France's film sector, and indeed the international film circuit as a whole, believed to be a form of punishment for Trier after she used her Palme d'Or acceptance speech to criticise French President Emmanuel Macron's deeply unpopular pension reforms. But of course, Trier ended up having the last laugh, for Anatomy of a Fall has gone to be nominated for five Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Director, while The Taste of Things failed to make the final shortlist for international feature film. In all, though, it's sad that a film that as gentle as compassion as The Taste of Things became so caught up in petty politics. Because although Anatomy of a Fall is, at least in my opinion, the stronger overall movie, Hung's film has a sweet and tender nature about itself that would have made it a fine contender had it been nominated. Set in 19th century France, the film focuses on the relationship between wealthy gourmet restaurateur Dodin Beaufin, played by Benoit Majumel, and his cook of 20 years, Eugénie, played by Juliette Binoche. 
The two share an unmistakable bond as they help one another create some utterly irresistible meals for Dodan and his friends, from roasted veal racks to the most salivating baked Alaska dessert that you've ever seen. Yet despite his regular proposals that they become more than co-workers, Eugenie refuses to give up her freedom and settle into married life. However, certain circumstances drive the couple further together, with the power of their culinary skills providing a gateway to a possible happy ending for the both of them. The thing about the taste of things is that it is exceptionally indulgent, and that seems entirely by design. It's a film where the first 20 to 30 minutes alone are dedicated to showing in great drawn-out detail all the various routines and methods that the two central characters use to create their dishes. Tran An Hung makes, makes the viewer hear and feel every sizzle in the pan, every crunch of the ingredients, and even every bird call far in the background of this countryside setting, across an expanded runtime where, when you break it down, very little often happens within the narrative. This is very much a slow burn, or more, more appropriately, a slow cook, to where I can easily see it not winning over everyone, especially those who prefer things to actually happen within such a large amount of time. In fact, at my screening, I counted at least one or two couples who decided to walk out midway through, presumably because their eyes were bigger than their stomachs in more ways than one. It's easy to dismiss a film like The Taste of Things as empty and even boring, based purely on the slow and uneventful slog that it seems to be on the surface. However, there is a considerable amount of tenderness underneath it, which Hung carefully simmers to a point where you are still invested in this central romance, despite the lack of narrative drive surrounding it. You certainly feel the palpable connection between these two main characters, not least of all because the actors give neatly understated turns where you still sense their burning chemistry, and as their journey comes towards a definitive yet bittersweet turning point, the charm that they radiate in addition to their underlying feelings of passion for each other and their cooking rituals does hold your interest throughout. It is a romance through and through, and it does a fine job of making that element of the story stand out as one that you can easily get behind and experience the necessary number of emotions while watching it. It is also, to put it bluntly, pure food porn. No joke, the scenes in this film where the characters are just cooking or preparing the various meals that they serve up, of which there are many, are all shot and paced like they're the culinary equivalent of something you'd find on Brazzers or one of the main other adult video websites. The ways in which Hung manages to capture the making and serving of each succulent dish is enough to arouse any hardcore foodie out there, or at the very least make your stomach growl as you see all this food be marinated, boiled, fried, and drenched to perfection. The filmmaker really pours every last drop of his soul into these extended sequences where absolutely no non-diegetic music is playing, with all the sizzling and crunching of the food providing all the soundtrack that's needed, and his passion shows each and every time that a piece of digestible substance pops up on the screen. Though it is ultimately a bit too slow at times to where it threatens to become ever so slightly tedious, The Taste of Things is an entirely pleasant romance that offers plenty of food for thought, as well as just food in general. And obviously it's not the better film that France could have submitted this year, again, Anatomy of a Fool is right there, but this is a watchable slice of cinema that's easy to digest and enough to leave you visibly salivating. 
So in all, I'd say that The Taste of Things is an exceptionally indulgent but no less romantic historical drama, one that houses plenty of sweet tenderness underneath its slow-cooked pace and treats scenes of food preparation with a rousing passion, which earned the film a gentle three stars, which equates to a decent stomach filler. And you can check it out yourself when the film arrives in cinemas on the 14th of February. Finally, I want to highlight one of last week's releases, which is Gassed Up, which comes from director George Amponsa, who was previously nominated for a BAFTA for his Mark Duggan documentary, The Hard Stop, and makes his leap into narrative filmmaking with this new crime drama. But now that we're living in a post-American fiction world, it has become easier than ever to spot the signs of black storytellers being pigeonholed into telling specific stories that reinforce negative stereotypes. So at first glance, Gassed Up seems like it's adding fuel to the fire, with prominent black characters indulging in criminal activity whilst wielding harmful weapons, while their parental figures are either drug addicts or entirely absent. However, the key phrase in that previous sentence is at first glance, because upon closer inspection, Gassed Up is a much more challenging and carefully thought out film that Amponza and the script by Archie Maddox and Taz Schuyler, the latter also taking on a prominent supporting role in the film, constructs around the perceived racial stereotypes that I already mentioned. The creative team certainly doesn't avoid every convention, but they still do a remarkable job of skirting around them to find a sensitive humanity that drives this ultimately crowd-pleasing ride. So the film is set in London, and the film follows a gang of moped riders consisting of Stephen Odebolas Ash, Taz Schuyler's Dubs, Craig Middleberg's Roach, Mohammed Mansouré's Cabs, and Tobias Jowett's Mole, and they regularly commit a string of daylight thefts from unassuming residents, you know, grabbing their mobile phones and purses and then riding off before they can react. And they are then paid handsomely by Dobbs's connection within an Albanian crime syndicate. But Ash intends to use his cash wisely by supporting his younger sister Jazz, who's played by Rodak Quadri, and finding their drug-addicted and off-screen mother a suitable rehabilitation programme. And of course, it doesn't take long for this gang's highs to become lows, particularly as some of them, most notably Roach, who also happens to be Ash's closest childhood friend, begin displaying some rather disturbing behaviour during their thievery. And then things get worse when they are forced to make the leap to robbing jewellery stores, which turns out to be much more dangerous than any of them could ever have predicted. All of these progressively trickier situations soon lead Ash to determine whether or not he's meant for this life and that he must do something before the damage becomes irreparable. So the first half of this film is a lively and energetic affair that clearly takes after Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas and how it ironically romanticizes the criminal activity that our main characters partake in. Because not only does it grant them significant financial rewards and an elevated social status, but there is a real addiction to the thrill of it all, which Amponza shows through some riding sequences that get the adrenaline pumping. Some gritty GoPro shots place the viewer on the bikes as this gang rides across town, committing all sorts of petty theft, or in the case of one sequence that blatantly homages the Fast and the Furious, racing each other in abandoned car parks. And through other scenes set during eight mile style rap battles and apartment block raves, Amponsa brings a fierce vision to the subculture that makes it as alluring as it undoubtedly is to the protagonists. 
And then, inevitably, reality hits like a car to one of the speeding mopeds. Because after such a stern focus on this risky but ego-boosting venture, to where Stephen Odibola's Ash has numerous fantasies where he's the most popular guy on the block for his actions, the filmmakers do not hold back on showing the far uglier side of being involved in organized crime. Like, people are roughed up, their families are threatened, friendships and relationships destroyed, and there's even an assault which may trigger some who may still be reading from the memory of George Floyd's untimely demise. But neither Amponsa nor the screenwriters allow much room for optimism during this section, save for a conclusion which ends things on a reasonably Hollywood note. And through some tight editing, distorting cinematography, and a number of deeply committed performances, especially from Stephen Odebola, who should, in a just outcome, be well on the path to stardom after people see him in this film, and it all puts the psychological damage on full display. So this is strong stuff from these filmmakers who tell this fierce cautionary tale with gusto and sensitivity, ultimately to where audiences can admire its eagerness to go deeper into the psychology of this particular youth culture than, say, any of the kidulthood movies. And it certainly isn't without its more questionable moments that take you out of the otherwise grounded narrative, such as cartoonishly abusive fathers and main characters who are massively built up only to then disappear entirely from the final reel without explanation. But Gassed Up manages to overcome a lot of its other familiar attributes with a hard-hitting style which emphasizes the dangerous thrill of living too vigorously in the fast lane. Now, I know it's easy to judge a film like this based on how it looks no different to many other films about youth and crime, like Blue Story, which, incidentally, Stephen Odebola also starred in, and thus escalates the problems addressed in American fiction. However, I do implore you to look at it from a much closer angle, and you'll find that Gas Tap has much more than just fuel running its engine. So make sure you go and check out Gassed Up, which is, for my money, a thrilling depiction of British youth crime that steadily goes from a lively romanticisation to depicting its uglier and even disturbing consequences with unflinching eyes, which George and Ponce's stylish direction and a star-making turn by Stephen Odebola adds plenty of crowd-pleasing adrenaline to, and it earns four stars from me, which makes it a dish you'll be hungry for more of. So that's Gassed Up, which you can now see in cinemas before it's released on Prime Video from the 29th of March. Ah, oh, you're right. back. Yes. Yes, here's your coffee. Oh, thank you very much. Yes. Ah, oh, very nice. Very nice coffee. But that brings us to the end of another very exciting episode of Film Feeder. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and I hope it's uh, inspired you to check out one or many of all the films I've mentioned today. And once again, very, very special thank you to Matt for joining me on this much more rambly episode of Film Feeder than I'm thank usually Thank you very much for, ha for having me. Yeah, how's it feel uh, being uh, a broadcast to the world like this? Had to say it like that, didn't you? Well, <laughs> it's, been, it's been it's been nice having this conversation. Yeah, I, I like it. Yeah, hopefully, it's nice hearing about films that are about to come out and what you think about films that have just been. Absolutely, yeah, I, I enjoy someone to talk to. It, it gets very lonely just uh, recording these on my own. So, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. But if you guys want to hear more of Film Feeder podcasts like this, please subscribe to Film Feeder and join patreon and all of the social media channels that i'm sure jack will tell you about now yes uh you can find film Vida on all the socials and uh, patreon and the website itself links and which are all in the episode description 
So that's it for another episode of Film Feeder. Join me next week when I talk about some many more films that are coming to cinemas and streaming and all that good stuff. But until then, I'm Jack Martin, your film chef extraordinaire. And I'm your movie maitre d', Matthew Hans. Wetting your appetite for film each and every week. That's all for now. See you next time. All right, now get out my flat. Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs>